Yeah, I've got it in a glass with ice. It's the best way to drink Coke. 1.25 litre bottle, not a two litre because they go flat too quick. I wasn't, are you, are you excited about the, the whole soft drinks? I wasn't old enough for them. No. So I don't. No, you, you also drink your Jim Beam with Sunkiss though, so. No. Don't knock it till you try it. So there's Shut an the issue. the fuck up. You do not. Beam and Sunkissed. Yeah, that's an issue. How are all you footy fans this week? Welcome back to Night Shift Football. It's episode 136. This week on the pod, the Prem Clubs vote on some new rules. Arsenal go top of the pile and manages another three points. Slippy Pep continues to slide. Liverpool dominate everywhere but the scoreboard and West Ham and Newcastle get big wins. Let's do it. Another week. Uh, Tommy's here. Do you want to say hi, man? Do I have to? Uh, I'd like you to. Can you say hello? Okay. Yeah, hello. Cool. There you go. Thanks for that. Uh, you're done for the week. Uh, Cooper, would you like to say hello? You're here. Uh, hello. You're here as oh, well. Yeah, like I, I, would, I would like to to, to say hello. And, and so would my friend Richarlison up here on my shoulder. He, he'd like oh. to say hello to Tom as well. So we're, we're getting fancy on our Zooms now. And we've got a, uh, I've got a nice background of our, our Night Shift logos with the Spotify logo uh cooper has richarlison currently as his background after we mm. we bullied him into changing it because it was originally carl viet uh for some reason tommy's got underwear on a clothesline in his background so yeah that took me ages to find that photo too if you could have a, um, <laughs> what photo would you like to use who would you like to have on there i did i had my driver's license before that was a good one yeah what about Not- like bielsa on a bucket if you were technically oh. gifted enough to go to Google and save an image to your PC, <laughs> what would it be? Well, well slow down, Egghead. Jesus. Uh, Bielsa on a bucket's a good shout. I like that. Um, maybe Viduka after he scores his fourth against Liverpool in the classic 4-3 yeah. win. That was nice. That's a good shout. Um, I, think, I, th- I think we worked out that Tom hasn't written an article yet because he doesn't know what the internet is, Sam. <laughs> it it appears that way. It does appear that way. Um all right, I'm just I'm afraid of big data. I, I try and stay away. Big data, reject all cookies. Let's go. Um, except the subway ones, they're good. So, plenty happening lately. Last week, just after we recorded, some news came out about the Premier League clubs voting on a new uh, five-year limit on transfer fee amortization. So basically, the rules of this are that clubs can no longer make a transfer fee last the length of a contract. For example, um, Chelsea signing Mudrick to a eight and a half year deal where they they pay that basically they pay the transfer fee to the other club over that amount of time uh you can now only do it over five years uh 15 clubs voted yes to this there were two against i believe and three absentee votes or absentations so didn't vote at all um is this important does this change much um it doesn't change much for the clubs that weren't exploiting this loophole beforehand, I would say. No. It's this, what I got from it is it kind of feels like the clubs that have taken advantage of it, and especially because Chelsea voted yes in favour yeah, of did. this, they're kind of pulling the ladder up again. They're like, okay, fuck it. We've we've taken this as far as it can go. Let's make sure no one else can do these, these little financial tricks that we've been um, employing lately. It does bring them in line to the UEFA regulations. UEFA already brought this in over the summer and the Premier League 
didn't for whatever reason. I think it's because <laughs> I, I personally, I just think the Premier League are fairly weak on this stuff, and they they let the big club owners and chairmen bully them around a bit. Mm. I um interestingly, I saw a an interesting Twitter thread on this, Sam that that you'll be familiar with the the happenings of Tom, maybe not so much. Um, for the listeners, it was talking about the more obviously the Saudi owners coming in, but especially with what we've seen with Chelsea, the the American ownership in the Premier League coming more profound. Um, that this potentially comes into play and doesn't change much right now, but could change a landscape in the future of where we might have seen some smaller scale deals similar to what we've seen with Shohei Otani in the MLB. Yeah. Um, just recently occur. So oh, I did see and, this. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Shohei Otani has signed a 10 year deal with the LA Dodgers and the MLB um, for 700 million US dollars over 10 years. Yep. Um, $70 million a year. Now, the Dodgers are deferring $68 million of the $70 million a year of his contract for the next 10 years. So that means that between 2024 and 2033, Otani will only be getting paid $2 million a year to play for the Dodgers. Then um, interest-free between 2034 and 2043, he will get all the rest of that $700 million that he's missing. Um, and essentially the reason that the Dodgers have done this, well, they've been able to do it because there's no rules against it, but that the reason that the Dodgers have done this is because the MLB doesn't have a salary cap, but teams have to pay what they call a competitive balance tax or luxury tax, um, where if they spend over a certain threshold, which stands at uh, 2024, $237 million a year in wages, they have to pay a tax, so 20% tax on overages, which increases to 30% in the second year and 50% in the third. So they found a loophole, which means they could give Otani all this money to get this player because they have this much money, but then still not have to pay the punishment of taxes. And this competitive balance is just essentially out the window. Um, nice. And there was a really good thread on potentially that the Premier League are trying to avoid this happening mm-hmm. in in the English football game um, so that the the rich that continue to get richer and already have a competitive imbalance in the league can't make it a stronger imbalance. Yeah. So what's it like this um, amortization? Is that them paying clubs in installments or is it them just forwarding it over their books for the period of their contract? I believe it's to do with their accounting and not so yeah. much the club receiving of payments. But, I I, but I'm not a hundred, like a lot of this comes down to accounting talk and I'm no good mm-hmm. at it. Finance talk goes over my head a lot, but um, yeah. I, I will, another aspect of this that they did bring in another rule. This is according to David Ornstein on the athletic uh, if you don't know David Ornstein, he's worth following on X. He's pretty pretty good football news. Um, but another statement added that teams had also voted in favour of enabling the Premier League board to stop a club from registering more players in situations where they owe a transfer debt to another Premier League or English Football League side yeah. until that payment has been made. The offending club could also see the outstanding amount deducted from their share of prize money should they win anything. Yeah, so that that goes back to essentially what Tom was asking, where it's um, money being transferred between clubs. I'm not sure if either of you remember, but when Barca had their transfer ban for a period of time, there was a lot of talk about how they still owed over 60% of the transfer fee for Philippe Coutinho to Liverpool at the time. So there is a lot of clubs (laughs) owing payments to other clubs. And essentially, essentially by using and buying and selling with money that they don't have at the time, is essentially what they're doing and trying to avoid because then clubs get into the situation like Barca did where they're due to make these payments and they can't make these payments. 
It really, it just goes to show how ridiculous the transfer fees are these days that the clubs themselves can't even afford to pay them up front. You should, you like, if you're going to buy a player, you should just drop that money on that player and it should count for that season that you've bought the guy. Like, I don't, why have we allowed ourselves to get entangled in this financial mess? Like I was saying before about the, um, you know, just the the owners of these clubs and the more money that has come into football, the more different legislation and loopholes clubs have tried to get around and, when it comes to money, people will find all sorts of way to all sorts of ways to to kind of find those loopholes and do what they can. Um, so that's what we're seeing, and I believe the Premier League has mostly just kind of let it all happen because you know this means more money for them, the big business investors mm. and stuff. And that's where we see situations like recently where like you basically had government intervention to allow the um, like the purchase of Newcastle by Saudi ownership because it's business opportunities. Uh, on like a global scale, like on a, on a yeah, national level for the the country, not just for football. So mm. it's it's a real complex world right now. Um, what I want to just finish on on this topic, though, we were just talking about all these fees and stuff, and I sent you, I think I sent you the screenshot on the weekend, but it popped up in my news feed. It's from North Shields Football Club uh, in the lower league of England. They released a club statement that they basically they were in a bad financial position they thought they were going to get through it based on uh, revenue they would have collected over a few home games in the last month or so. Those games were postponed for whatever reason, weather and all sorts of things. Um, and so they haven't made that revenue and they've now been forced to basically, they're not folding, but they are, I guess, forfeiting. They don't have any players. All the players have left and they've let all the coaching staff go because they can't afford to pay them. Um, and I just think it's just in this world we're in with some of these transfer fees the football pyramid in England, or I guess everywhere, is just gross. It's grotesque, the amount of money that's going around that people are getting paid per week or per year, the amount of money that they're transferring to other clubs. And we've got we've got clubs at the other end of the scale that are getting they're getting nothing. They're letting people go. People that uh that need this stuff just for basic livelihood. Yeah. And that's the I mean, that's the saddest thing, is that these are guys who are playing football to try and make a living at the end of the day. Cause I, I think we ended up looking up what the average wage was going down the pyramid. And I think if you're in the conference, you can still get, I think the average is still between like a thousand pound a week to 2000 pound a week, yeah. which is like, good. That's good. Sustainable money. Like you can raise a family sure. on that. Um, but if you're playing a little bit lower than that, you've got the jeopardy of having one job and you're trying to balance it with, you know, playing for a side that's not paying you any money. It comes back to, you know, perhaps a portion of every transfer that is made in the Premier League should be siphoned off into like a big kitty, like a big loan, a loanable kitty of money that clubs can dip into if they need to in times of stress like this. Because it just seems bizarre to me that they, you know, they flaunt their football pyramid in England and then they just allow clubs to die, essentially. Yeah, they've had this in um, Spain, we've talked about before, they're the payments from TV revenue that pretty much ninety percent is for Barca and Real, and the rest the club the rest of the clubs in Spain get like ten percent or something spread yeah. over them. Well, did we yeah. see? There's just quickly. There's more that the the FA could be doing in in a simpler fashion. I'm not sure. Um, Tom might have uh, seen this. He frequents our Twitter. I retweeted it at the time. But the FA Cup fourth round draw was done, and there's six TV games in England that are shown live on Sky during the fourth round of the FA Cup, and all six games feature two Premier League teams. So the 12 teams that are getting the £10,000 bonus for being shown on Sky Sports are all Premier League sides. And I understand that potentially 
we can't show League One versus League One because no one will watch it and then Sky won't pay for the product and, and that's just not how getting this money works. But the eight Premier League clubs that are playing championship or lower sides, some of them playing playing sides that aren't even in the professional tier in the fourth round of this cup, why those games aren't being shown so these lower league clubs can can make the money. Yeah, they have to be. It's just, it makes no sense to me either. It, it reinforces the idea that the Premier League is a racket in terms of the, the EFL and everything that goes below it. There you go. We'll leave it there before we get sued by the Premier League because I know that everyone involved in the Premier League does listen to this pod. Ooh, and that's why we are. That that's why we're so famous. Um, other news. We are always talking about the amount of football that goes on. We've whinged about the League Cup every year, I think, asking why it even still exists um, for a lot of the clubs. We've got a UEFA Conference League, a UEFA Europa League, a UEFA Champions League. We've got World Cups. We've got Euros. We've got qualifiers. We've got the League of Nations. Um, Then there's all the actual domestic leagues that you play in. And now FIFA has their plans. They're the expanded uh, Club World Cup that's going to kick off in June or July June, July 2025, that will feature 32 teams. So this is in uh, the off-season for most clubs. Um, obviously, the Club World Cup involving the continental winners, so this would include Champions League, Champions League winners and so on, but 32 teams to be involved in a yearly tournament. What does this mean for everything else? Where do the players get a break? Where do we fit World Cups and uh, like continental Euro, Euro tournaments and Copa Americas in? If this is going on, we don't. I'm at a loss. Um, yeah. yeah, I have I no mean, idea. We're just going to add more days to the calendar, right? I, I just think way. there's there's this obsession in the heads of these big money greedy bastards that are like people want to yeah. watch football all year round. And this goes back to last week. I can't even remember the name of that lackluster cup we were talking about for about ten minutes that no one had ever heard for before that existed. Oh the intertoto. Purely for game. <laughs> intertoto, yeah. But this is just another <laughs> one of those things, is it not? Is this not just the, the money hungry bastards at the top <sighs> going, let's get 32 of the best playing when they're not supposed to be playing because people will love this. And and increasing the amount of football played automatically lowers the quality of football we will see throughout all of those games. And that is not what genuine football supporters want to see. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And like, look at all the injuries that are getting racked up at the moment with the with the clubs that have been exposed to these kind of schedules. In my in my mind, it kind of seems like, um, who's organising it? It's UEFA. FIFA. FIFA. The FI- are they just trying to take some more revenue away from the individual clubs that do tours around in that time of year? Uh, I don't know. I think they're just looking to make, they just see the Club World Cup as another thing that they can turn into a moneymaker for them. You know, mm. I think they want to host it in North America. What I'm reading here is an attempt to turn the Club World Cup into a cash cow. FIFA has expanded the event to 32 teams with 12 slots for UEFA. It's four Champions League winners over the 2020 to 2024 period, yeah. plus the eight best eligible teams in the four-year ranking. So it's it's like a four-year ranking system. It's an absolute mess. So this basically, this means that Chelsea, Real Madrid, and Manchester City um, have already qualified for this, mm. along with this whoever is, wins it this season. Plus, Super League light. Yeah, plus Brazil's um, Palmeiras, Flamengo, and Fluminense, uh, Mexico's Monterrey and Leon. Uh, the USA's Seattle Sounders, Morocco's Wydad Casablanca, Egypt's Al Ahly, Japan's Uruguay Red Diamonds, and Saudi Arabia's Al Halal. Um, 
but there'll be more. No Australian teams will appear after the A-Leagues. Melbourne City were knocked out in the group stage of this year's Champions League. Oh, damn. Um, I'm reading this <laughs> off Fox Sports, but yeah, um, it's highly complex. It's highly annoying. I think we all enjoy it as much as we love football. We love it, but we could all use a break, can we? Especially yeah. these players. The so best... you're not, you're not going to watch it, Sammy? I don't, I don't even know when it's like, <laughs> who's going to be playing who? I won't be getting up at like 3 a.m. to watch Seattle Sounders versus Chelsea. Oh, when, how interested are Chelsea going to be in this thing? Or like any any club in the Premier League, how, how interested are they going to be in a 32-team a competition over their off-season? The best take I saw on this was that thanks to COVID, FIFA saw... The Euros, obviously UEFA Euros, but they saw what happened with the Euros and the World Cup going back to back and and how mental that was for football and how much money was turned over by having major tournaments in consecutive years. And they've just gone, obviously, we can't continue just going Euros, World Cup, Euros, World Cup, Euros, World Cup. We know that won't work. Let's find a way to chuck another what seems a major footballing tournament in here. And, And then we can just go bang, 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 bang. But because it's like countries clubs countries clubs people might not realize this is what we're doing yeah i like that you said what seems because like who really cares about the club world cup like outside of a couple of teams real madrid i think really enjoy competing and winning in it but yeah nonsense let's move it on to some actual football that happened and not future that uh football that will happen in the future uh the champions league group stage wrapped up last week it is of course um the last time we'll see this format of the competition oh. because what are next, you doing? well next year the Champions League is being expanded. So is the Europa League, uh, I believe. But the Champions League will be expanded and it's uh, some sort of big, basically super league system that's going on. Um, Speaking of greedy bastards. I think we can probably cover that when we know more about it and when it comes up closer. But I, I just the whole idea was to remove dead rubbers, but there's just going to be more of them because there's going to be more. You know, the, the clubs down the bottom are very quickly going to realise they will lose to most teams. Um, yeah. Unless, if of you course, you're Man United. You pl- I was going to say, if you play football manager, you can already experiment with this and it, it sucks by all, all accounts. Sounds terrible. Group A had Bayern Munich, Copenhagen, Galatasaray and Man United finishing in that order. Copenhagen got out, Bayern finishing top, Man United just uh, abysmal from them. Four points in the Champions League. I'm just going to run... Uh, run through all these groups and then you can hit me up for whatever you want to talk about at the end. Yeah, sounds good. Group B, Arsenal finished top with 13, PSV through Lance and Sevilla out. Sevilla, two points um, in the Champions League this year. They don't even go into their their famous Europa competition that they love winning. Real Madrid smashed it through, six wins from six. They go through with Napoli. Uh, group D, Sociedad finished uh, top of the group, level on points with Inter, a better goal difference. We were discussing before, we were too lazy to look up whether it was goal difference or head-to-head, but um, Inter and Sociedad are through. And group E, poor old Celtic got four points. They finally decided to show up in Europe and got a win when it didn't matter. They were already out. Atletico and Lazio are through. Dortmund finished top of group F. This is the big one. Paris Saint-Germain threw in second. Milan, and then Newcastle bottom of a group that could have gone either way on the final day. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about that group when I finish up here, but Man City, Leipzig through from Group G, Man City with six wins, and Group H, Barcelona and Porto went through. Uh, Cooper, what have you got? Yeah, um, I mean, the only real surprises in this, obviously, you said we'll get to Borussia Dortmund topping that group. 
I mean, that was one that a lot of people thought could go many ways, but I think people thought that the likes of Dortmund, Milan and Newcastle were going to be fighting for second spot and that PSG would yep. would clear this group in first. And then potentially into Milan going through second in their group behind Real Sociedad uh, is head-to-head, not goal difference as well. So um, not getting the results they needed against Sociedad, obviously, I believe they drew on the last day. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, those are the two real shocks. I think everything else is pretty as we expected. I mean, Man United going out, we've spoken that through the roofs, but it's not necessarily the shock that a lot of people are making it out to be at the moment. Um, but it's pretty substandard other than that. I think it's what we all expected. Sure. I am I am fairly certain that we called Man United finishing bottom of this group. And Did we? If, if I had access to previous podcasts, I'd be able to go through and uh, How do you drag not? that I, I'll actually, I'll confirm that that by we, I'll give this to Tommy. Tommy said that Man United wouldn't go through in this group. I didn't agree at the time. Thank you. Um, what did I, I, still say? Think, I think I think we both disagreed, Sam. I think we both thought that they should be good enough to go through in this group. And they should have been. The reality for Man United is that they should have been good enough to go through in this group. Um, Against Copenhagen and Galatasaray, definitely. One win yeah, but re- real- Reality is, is that they stink. They're they do a stink. Terrible football club. Um, Sevilla's the Sevilla. I mean, that's that's kind of sad actually to see the drop off. They just sacked their coach as well, um, Diego Alonso, which I think is the second coach they've sacked this season. Mm. Um, they're in all sorts at the minute. The real, the big one. I mean, there's a few straight up and down groups. You know, Real Madrid, Napoli, uh, City, Leipzig, and a really weak group. Uh, Barca Porto gets through again. Did we underestimate the Portuguese side? Maybe they'll probably topple uh, a group winner in the next round. But Inter going through second, that's great. Like, that is going to cause some banana skins in the next phase of this. Well, I'll give you a, a confirmation on what that might do because as we speak right now, the Champions League draw for the round of 16 has just wrapped up. Um, no way. Porto Sick. will have to play Arsenal in the round of 16. Uh, <laughs> yeah, probably Shit. our only blockbuster matchup of the round of 16 here between Napoli and Barcelona. Paris Saint-Germain, as lucky as they can get going through in second, will play group topic Real Sociedad in the round of 16. What do you know? Inter Milan going through second in their group will have to play Atletico Madrid. So there's a little bit of punishment for falling to second. But I mean, they also have theoretically dodged PSG by finishing second in this group. Mm. Uh, Dortmund will play PSV. Bayern Munich will play Lazio. Manchester City have gotten another easy draw with Copenhagen as their round of 16 opponent. And Real Madrid will play Red Bull Leipzig. Ooh, good game. Uh, Excuse me, they're not Red Bull, thank you. It's Russian Bull Sport. It's not Red Bull. That's just the, you know, that's just the logo that's on everything. The Red Bull, it's it's not their name. Um, kind of looks like the energy drink logo. I could be wrong, though. Yeah, it does. It looks a lot like it. It's a technicality to do with their name and being in the German league. Um, it's all bullshit. RB gives me wings Leipzig. I'm pretty sure that reads. RB gives me wings Leipzig. Um, yeah, interesting draw. Arsenal pretty pretty happy to get Porto, I think, coming out of that. I was just going to add before, Sevilla, they are sitting 17th in La Liga, so they stink. They're on the same amount of points as the team in 18th, <laughs> so they're genuine relegation battle right now. And if they were to go down, that would be huge. It'd be right up there with Leon going down in Liga at the moment. Um, and in that group F, I was just going to say Dortmund and PSG. Um, Cooper just said Paris Saint-Germain before, and it just sounded, it, it just really rolled off the tongue, very Aussie, and it was great. <laughs> You're very welcome. It was very no fresh. <laughs> Excellent. 
Is there a Europa League draw there for you to surprise us with? Not yet. The Europa League draw is shortly, but not Brilliant. Yet. No one cares. I'm just going to quickly run through the groups, though. West Ham went through top of their group. I just feel like that is worth noting. They're through to the knockout stages. They went through with Freiburg, who are a good watch. Uh, they're, they're, they're teams that could go kind of deep in this. Uh, Brighton and Marseille went through from Group B. Rangers finished top of the group. In a, they were in a situation where they could have finished anywhere between third and first going into that last day, and they, they knocked Betis out and go top mm-hmm. of the pile. Uh, that's big for them. Atalanta and Sporting go through in Group D. Uh, the mighty Sturm Gratz didn't make it this time. Tommy, unfortunately, I'm sorry. Uh, group E, Liverpool do end up topping that group uh, with Toulouse. They'd already wrapped that up, though, I think, going into that game, which they lost to Union Sengalen. Uh, Villarreal and Ren are through in Group F. Slavia, Praha and Roma Roma going through in second there, a little bit of a slip up towards the end of that group stage. And Leverkusen go through with Karabag. Leverkusen with the six wins from six. And we are all aboard the Leverkusen train, I think, all three of us with Xabi Alonso at the helm. Oh, definitely. They've got to be the form team of Europe at the moment. Mm. That's, a fair, that's a fair shout. They're playing really good football. I hope they can keep it up. They've got some really nice players to watch. Big, big fan of Florian Verts at the moment as well. Mm, okay, I'm guessing you guys don't have anything to say about any of the other Europa League groups. What's the thing? No, do the third place teams go into the Conference League? Like, is it just? I don't want to know. They just want to know. get shuffled down. I just don't. I don't want to know, and I don't care. I don't. I haven't even looked at the Conference League groups. It's who's going to play no in the Intertoto Cup? And that's what I want to know. The interesting part of the Europa League now is, um, I guess, their format will change soon as well. But they, I think, last year and this year have had a different format. It used to be you'd play the group stage and there was a shit ton of groups and then you'd go through and there'd be a round of 32 knockout round with two legs. Uh, The way they do it now is there is a preliminary round. So the group, all eight group winners are through to the round of 16. If you finish second in your group in the Europa League, you will now play a team who finished third in the Champions League coming down in in a knockout round. And then you'll see who goes through this round of 16. So there you go. Until next year when it all changes again because FIFA want more games because they just want more money and that's all they care about. Are you guys ready to talk Premier League? Yeah. Speaking of caring about money, yes. Speaking of caring about money, uh, yeah, let's go. Spurs played Forest Saturday morning. Uh, the England Friday night game. I'm all about this. More of them, please. Mm. You're, mm, you're not... No? Well, it just it caught me out on FPL again and I should know if there's a yeah. European midweek, Spurs yeah, are going to you... play Friday night. You once again had a captain and a vice captain not play. It's the least of our fantasy worries is you not knowing there was a Friday night game going on, Tommy. I'll tell you what. Where's Harland? But Forrest Forrest at home to Spurs. A a nice win here for Andrew's team. Spurs are really strong, clean sheet under the pump a lot, but uh, perhaps they got a bit lucky, but also a professional effort to see it out without conceding. Forrest, for them, they just simply need more and they need to be taking taking advantage of of the sort of chances that they were getting. Yeah, yeah, just their inability to hit the target in this game was just shocking. I, I, I mean, they create they're, they're like a fine football team for us. And like, they've definitely got enough about them, even in a year where there isn't three absolutely deplorable sides rotting in the bottom three. I still think they would have enough about them to keep up. Like just say Leicester, Ipswich and Southampton go up from the championship this season. You would still think Forest have enough about them to maintain their Premier League status going forward, but they really need to get their shit together because they're mm. 
They just, I mean, they're missing. Who's their striker that Cooper loves? Uh, Iwo Awani. That's the one. I mean, that's the thing with the Prem is when you lose your main man up top, especially when you're one of these bottom 10 sides, it, you know, it can be disastrous for you. And I think they're just going through that patch at the minute. Yeah, I was going to go straight down the same path as you. 15 shots and one on target probably is not good enough for a team like Nottingham Forest that needs to be, they need to be scoring to keep themselves in games is the most obvious thing that you've probably ever heard. But these relegation candidate sides don't often keep clean sheets. So they're mm. not going to find points in the Premier League without scoring goals. Mm. Um, that, that's that's your best Michael Owen this week. Yeah, there's a little bit more to that than a Michael Owen. Just a, just a <laughs> little bit. Um, no, they uh, are excellent in this game. So good. Um, I know Sam loves him. He's probably the, the least talked about part of the front three for Tottenham. Um, Sam's just got a thing for face masks. Yeah, I don't like him, but he's like very that. good. Okay, there you go. I'm, I'm just a I think he's a very good footballer. In the yeah. past, what, yeah. What don't I you do, like about him? I do rate him as a footballer. Uh, he played but for Juve. Person. He played for uh, Juve, okay. and I'm simply just holding that against him. And that's probably fair yeah. enough too. Um, now very good <laughs> in this game though. He's probably the the least spoken about member of this front three, especially when it was Kane. And now we know everyone loves to talk about Richarlison, who found another goal and, and added to the egos of myself and Sam as... You two love to talk about uh, Richarlison. Football conversationalist we that do. no one listens to. Um, but no, nice for Richarlison to get another goal and, and good from Kulisevsky. Um, Yves Basuma, another red car. He gets, a, I believe, a four-game suspension now. Four games, another straight red. Second straight red of the mm. season. So, I mean, by the end of January, he will have missed seven games with suspension. And I'm yeah. not sure what his obsession with tackling like an absolute fuckwit is, but it has to be doing Ange in something chronic. We we talked about this one in the group chat, and Tom was... Uh, I see where Tom's come from. You said he was a bit unlucky uh, because he's a little... He's like a fraction late. He's to me, late, it's yeah. just the, the the whole. You just can't approach a ball shin high anymore. It's mm. the the game is too fast. The game is too fast for you to be coming in with your studs up and your foot high like that because another player is going to nick the ball away from you, and it's going to look really really bad when the ref looks at it in slow motion. Um, and I, I have no problem with these being red cards. I think we've all come around now, especially us on here. I'm not sure about our listeners, but um. Mm. Dangerous oh, tackles, whether you get the man or not. Uh, he did Ooh. get the man in this one anyway. So, and ex- a very yeah, very similar incident occurred in the in the Liverpool United game where where Kobe Mainu went flying in for a loose ball and and Watara Endo got there just just before him and just nicked it away and and Mainu caught Endo and, and and was given a yellow card by the referee. But instantly, I think just like everyone held their breath. I think that's where we're at with this now. I was like they were aware that he was just half a second late. And and when the replay came in, Mino actually realised he was late and pulled his leg so far out of the way that it was his knee that made contact with Endo. Yeah, But yeah. it's just as soon as you see an incident like this, it's just like, fuck, he could be gone instantly. Absolutely. I really like what you said about the game being too fast, Sammy. And that's probably where we've come to in the concept of the 50-50 challenge. Yeah. And that we want to protect players. We don't want to see them get hurt. I've got no issue with this being a red card. Um, yeah. But it is... Just unfortunate timing, especially in this instance where the ball was bouncing and they've both come in initially with their feet off the ground. Yeah. And it's pretty much just for the fact that he's won the ball that Basuma's got himself set yeah. off. I don't I don't think he's a lunatic. That's that's reserved uh, for Romero. Yeah. Uh, Romero is definitely a lunatic. He's um, a I, lunatic. I think just in the context of we were just talking about the amount of games footballers play these days. I've got a note later on about injuries and the amount of injuries that clubs are carrying at the moment. Uh, We'll talk about that when we get to it. But 
Forest just really on the slide right now, five points out of relegation. They might just be really lucky in that the teams below them, Burnley and uh, Burnley and Sheffield in particular. Um, but who knows what Luton are going to do? They show glimpses of being able to get results, but still don't. Um, they've got a game in hand on Forest as well. And if they were to win that, which they're not going to get a whole lot of wins this season, would get them pretty close. But Forest just need to find something quick. Um Saturday night games, the goal rush games, obviously all the talk about uh, the incident at Bournemouth. Bournemouth were one all with Luton when Tom Lockyer went down with his second on-field cardiac arrest that he's had, not in the same game. That would be too much. Um, but I think, I don't know if either of us have anything to talk about with this other than the fact that I guess, like the rest of the football world, we're just hoping that it will it'll get sorted out. Pretty much. Um, they're not going to let him play again, are they? I mean... I wouldn't have thought. I don't know. Would you want to? I don't know. I would wouldn't, you want to after the first time? I wouldn't want to after the first one. I was thinking about that. Yeah. yeah. Who's, whose choice actually is it whether or not he plays again? Because obviously they can, he's not medically cleared, et cetera. But if he decides that, that he wants to play and a club takes him on, is there is there liability or is this Lockyer's decision in, in the be all and end all of it? I'm unsure. Um, I'm not sure if anyone had seen the, he did an interview. It came up in my TikTok algorithm doing wonderful things after his heart attack on the weekend, um, him doing an interview after his first. And he said that even once he came to consciousness and, and the training staff told him that he had to come off and he was saying, no, no, I'm, I'm good to go. I'm good to go. No, and not. I was saying, you've just collapsed on the pitch. And he was like, I looked around and I was like, hold on, how did I get on the floor? And, and I had no memory of what happened, but he yeah. said, I got on the stretcher and all I could think was I've just let my team down so badly because I can now have no influence on this game. And it just strikes me with professional athletes thinking like this. And now he's gone and had a second in seven months. If his brain's still just doing the whole football, football first thinking thing that he wants to, he's finally, you know, been involved in such a moment with Luton getting to the Premier League where yeah. he just wants to get back as soon as he can. Yeah. I get it. We live and breathe it, don't we? You know, um, I just... Uh, I had, uh, was it last year, year before, I came off the bench in a game and then scored and ran back to halfway and I had like an asthma attack. And I hadn't had asthma since I was like a kid. And I think it was it was after I had after I had COVID, my lungs were fucked up. Um, and I just remember like just, I was just in sheer panic and it was just genuinely terrifying. Um, someone on the, I was just laying down on the sideline in the end waiting for someone to hopefully find a puffer in a bag that I could take. But um, just I can't imagine what it'd be like to go through like something like that and then the thought of whether or not you'd want to play again after that situation, I don't know. Like it's just – this was just an asthma attack and I was shitting my pants and this bloke's had a, a cardiac arrest on a field for the second time. Um, just hang up the boots, man. Keep involved in football another way, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure Luton will look after him financially in a, if that's the primary concern. But I like, yeah. like like what Cooper said, he's obviously got that professional drive to want to continue. He's the captain as well. Like, of course, that's his first thoughts. He's letting everyone down. Uh, it's just it's just sad. It's just sad to see. But, I mean, it's a reminder that we're all, everyone's a human being out there. Like, we all have our limitations. And if, if he's hit his, it's unfortunate. But I'd rather not see him collapse for a third time. Yeah, yeah they're, scary they're, stuff. They're the only moments that really make you go, football is just a game. They're the ones that really wind yeah. it back for you. All right, we're hitting yeah. cliche territory, so I'm going to move it on now. But <laughs> um, Chelsea beat Sheffield 2-0. I don't think we're going to talk about it because I think we I all not. were. I've had 
Chelsea on the cards for a couple of wins for a while now, thinking that it was, surely it's going to happen. And then Sheffield at home, surely it's going to happen. And it did. 2-0, Sheffield a junk. Chelsea, you'll have to wait your turn for us to talk about you this time because that 2-0 at home to Sheffield isn't enough for us to to go through this game. Man City, Palace, though, 2-all. Palace uh, coming from 2-0 down at the Eddie had in the last 15 minutes. Tommy, Pep's side oh, still on the slide. They're wobbling. Oh, it's so good to see. Um, I think I read somewhere it was like the first time under Pep that City have not won for four in a row or something. This, like it was this, just this was five, wasn't it? Last it was week was five four. now. Well, last, last week was four, four wasn't it? Villa. It just it continues to bank up for this side at the moment. Um, is he in danger? Are we going to see Pep get sacked? <laughs> I don't think so. They're still well and truly in this title hunt. Uh, remember, they've still got their run through February and March where they win like 14 games in a row to come. So, Yeah, well, do they do it this season? That's mm. the question. We had the chat about it being good that Liverpool and Arsenal are competing for the title because it gives them a second query. Like if Arsenal drop points one week, but if Liverpool continue to pick up points, yep. they've still got a team to chase down, which is good to mm. see. Um, but this game in particular, they just lost their their grip on it in a sense. Um, you know, Palace only had two shots on target and they were both goals. So in terms of, you know, defensive frailty, it, it's not as bad as it may seem conceding two at home, but their ability to see out a game at the moment has deserted them. Yeah. Um, and I just, what do you, I, I don't know, what do you put it down to? They certainly have a vulnerability at the back, which I think they've, they've always kind of had, but they've been good enough to just to overcome it by just the sheer quality they have in the midfield and the front third. I don't know what's clicking for them right now that, or what isn't clicking for them right now. It's just hard to, to make anything of it. Uh, is it just a case of, it's simply just the results that aren't going their way and everything else is still right. Would you be changing anything about, would they be Would they be looking for any drastic changes in the way they've been playing or is it just, you know, because we saw them go to Villa and um, get done in there. They've now Palace, a bit of a different situation, you know, winning the game by two goals and not being able to see it out at home. That's very un-City and, you know, it's the sort, the sort of upsets you usually see with City are a team grabs an early one um, or just, just somehow manages a lead and then can they can just park the bus and try to yeah. cling on for the game. But this is a completely different situation. This is a team that had 26% of the ball just clawing their way back in, getting a late penalty through some clumsiness from Phil Foden, and all of a sudden they're in all sorts. Yeah, um, I just wonder how... Well, I mean, there's no, there's no wonder to it, really. We, we've discussed so many times how defensively important John Stones was to this team last year, and I don't know what he's done or what he's not doing for Pep Guardiola to just refuse to give this guy a game in the Premier League where they are so defensively weak right now. I just, yep. I, I can't understand where it's coming from. I know, I know Vardiol's the guy for the future and, and so is RK and they've got Rodri in that defensive midfield role and they like to be more offensive. They don't want to have that, that double pivot with the three midfielders in front of it because that's not the way Pep plays. But John Stones fit into this team like a glove last year and was so important to them throughout and they are just so defensively lacklustre without him there. Yeah, it's odd because he was injured a month ago, but um, <clears throat> I'm reading that he was cleared and ready to play for the, in this game, so surely he's returning imminently. Yeah, you'd think, you'd think it'd probably be necessary. Um, he's been on the bench for the last couple of fixtures for Man City now. Mm. Only got a, a minute, I mean, at the end of this game, so I don't necessarily understand what the point of that is. He's not getting any match fitness out of 30 seconds of football. 
Um, no. But um, you'd think he yeah. has to come in. Definitely. City's upcoming games. Um, one against Brentford's postponed. I don't know what's going on with that. But they play, they go away to Everton on the 28th of December. That's a really juicy tie, given Everton's form and the way that, you know, we've just talked about um, if you can nick an early one and shut up shop. Is there anything more dice than being able to do that at home to City with their backs against the wall? Premier League's corrupt. Here comes City with their 115 charges that haven't been uh, ruled upon yet. And you've got Everton with minus 10. There's a banana skin there for them as well. For sure. Um, do either of you feel like Edison was a little bit lucky in this one? I'm not sure if either of you have seen mm. the challenge in this game. I, I saw this and wondered, it looks like a yellow card challenge to me. Because is he, is it, I mean, he's the last man and that's what I, is it not, he's not that he's the last man, but the guy's throwing goal, uh, but there's covering defenders in the middle. So I think that's what the yellow card's for. I didn't see the challenge as excessive force. It was definitely, it was, he meant it for sure. So it was professional in a sense, which makes me think a yellow card. Did you see it differently? Yeah, I just think for me um, that Jean-Philippe Mateta is through. He Edison comes out, he commits to winning this ball. He doesn't. He takes Mateta out. Now, if he doesn't take Mateta out in this scenario, he's through on goal. Whether there's covering defenders or not, he's getting a shot at an open he, goal with a, a, score, a yeah. defender who cannot use his hands. Whether the defender is going to stop this or not, it's a little bit different to when you go, oh, my fullback took him out and he may or may not have been last man, but there's a little bit of cover from a guy that made a tackle. You're a little bit less helpless when you're standing on the goal line with the inability to use your hands and and VAR watching your every move. Um, this is with no goalkeeper and getting a shot on a goal with only a defender in it. This has to be seen for me as a clear and obvious goal scoring opportunity. And and he is the last man and he has denied Mateta a clear and obvious goal scoring opportunity. And I just think, and we saw it with Redmayne in the A-League the other day, if you come out and you commit to coming outside mm. your area and you give away a foul that stops an opportunity, I think you just have to go. Yep. I, I tend to agree just because, especially like when you, Referencing the red main incident there, it's the fact that the player can take the shot on because there's no goalkeeper, like the defender can't use his hands. So it it does change it completely if you're the goalkeeper or if you're the defender. They are kind of, I know I, I, last week I was complaining about two different sets of handball rules, but there are, I think rightfully, there are two different kind of rules for if it's a defender or a keeper. Um, we haven't really given Palace much credit there in that result with City, but Oh, I don't think they deserve any. No, not really. I mean, they've yeah, good good fight back, I guess, but yeah. they're still that could be a crucial point for them still because I'd say they're still precariously close, much closer to relegation than they would like. I think they're still pretty safe again due to the fact that the bottom three are so bad and Forest looks stinking at the moment. But uh, it looks like Everton are going to go past them at some point. Um, if they keep going on their run. Other games that night, so Newcastle beat Fulham 3-0, three second-half goals. Uh, we had Miley, Dan Byrne, and Almiron, I want to say, I believe, yep. putting an end to Fulham's run. They scored 10 goals in two games, and then none at St. James Park on the weekend. Newcastle really needed that one. Um, yeah, well, I, it doesn't help when Raul Jimenez is trying to fly-kick people in the face. Nah, I didn't even have that in my notes here. That was... Um, like Byron Pickett, here comes the boom highlights. <laughs> like, what, what are you doing, man? 
He's just running and jumping at dudes while the ball's on. Yeah, just silly. Uh, to his like, he's he's a little unlucky in the sense that he does pull his leg away, but it's yes. like it's like jumping through the air into a yeah. guy's upper half, like into his head and stuff. Just can can silly. you forgive a guy with a brain injury a brain snap though? A little bit. He's probably getting a week yeah, in the AFL so. for that one. So you're definitely going going in our game for that. Um, Everton won 2 0 away to Bournemouth. A pretty professional result, this one. Pretty comfortable. Two goals in the first 25, 30 minutes. Four in a row for Everton, I believe that is. Four wins yep. in a row. Four on the yep. trot. And like you said, they got City coming up soon. Oh, boy, get Ooh, excited. Good game. Into the Sunday night slash Monday morning games. Arsenal played Brighton. Um, Cooper, you were up late watching this one with me. Skulls said on Optus before the game that these are the sort of games where if you are going to win a league, you just simply cannot drop points in these sorts of games. And that's no discredit to Brighton, but if you're at the top top end of the table, these games at home, you just got to win them. They're not Brighton aren't a challenger. You need to win them, and they did. They went out a very professional performance. Yeah, played really good football too. We spoke about how impressive they were. Martin Erdegaard and Declan Rice have both been absolutely wild for Arsenal this season. Brilliant. De- Declan Rice looks like he's going to be worth every single cent that the Arsenal Football Club have spent on him. Um, Kai Havertz, really good. Um, I think the impressive thing for Arsenal in the last two or three weeks is Bakaya Saka has had a somewhat quiet month in the Premier League. He has. Arsenal have kept finding goals and kept winning, and I think that goes more to what we spoke about of a, the importance of Gabriel Jesus being fit and available to play for this side, but B, just the maturing of this team. They've found other outlets to go and other guys that they can rely on when things aren't going their way. Yep, definitely. Um, just on that midfield, the Declan Rice last night, he just the way the way they set it up, Brighton kept trying to play out from the back and Arsenal's press was brilliant. They kind of set up in like a traditional 4-4-2 defensively with Erdegaard and Jesus up front kind of splitting the defenders and manipulating Brighton into playing where they want them to play. And every time they went to play that ball into midfield, Declan Rice seemed to know it was going there before anyone on Brighton's team did, even the guy kicking the ball. And he was nipping in front, winning it back. He was skinning players. He went on some great runs. He he was just awesome. He was probably best on ground. Erdegaard um, was right up there with him. It was just a matter of Arsenal, when are they going to get the goal? And it was getting a bit tense. A note I had here was that Arsenal fans really are shit. Like, they, the Emirates last night, was it was so quiet for so much of the game. And I get there's this nervousness there that they this is a game they should be winning. So there's expectation to win at home. You're in a title race. Uh, when is the goal going to come? And it's almost like... When Arsenal, Arsenal fan, the Emirates does get up and about when Arsenal are up and about, but oh, they need, definitely. it's not, it's yeah. not one of those, they're not one of those clubs at the moment where the fans will do it to get the team up. The team has to do it first. And once the team mm-hmm. does it, then the crowd gets up and about. And so it was very nervy until Jesus scored early in the second half. Um, it was very nervy. And then at 1 0, Pascal Gross missed a glorious chance that he would usually oh, bury. And Brighton yeah. didn't really get many chances. This was one of them. Um, and he should have scored. Would have made it one all, but Arsenal just kept going and kept going. Salibra was incredible as well at the back again and uh, eventually got that second goal. We're real happy for Kai Havertz on this pod, aren't we? We're all here for the yeah. Havertz arc. Yeah. Put we him are. in our pile with Solanke and Richarlison and um, there's some others. Uh, Ross Barkley. All the other... All the other off kilter weirdos that we enjoy watching play football at the moment. I'd really like that. Um, <laughs> uh, Arteta, 
he's sacrificed like elements of their fun from last season, like to turn them into like a proper footballing unit. And the signing of Rice is massive. Like that's helped hugely. They got a world-class player into a hole that they, you know, Granit Xhaka was good, but he wasn't quite delivering what Rice is doing at the moment. I've got no doubt now that like this is a way better Arsenal side than the previous season. Um, And it's, I think it's highlighted in the fact I saw a cool stat. Brighton had scored in each of their last 32 Premier League games before this one. They averaged 2.1 goals and 17 shots per game over that period. In this game, no goals, six shots. Um, Just incredible. Like, to shut down a side that is so prolific and fluent in front of goal. And, you know, the Pascal Gross chance is massive, but outside of that, they didn't... A lot of those chances, a lot of those chances Brighton had were kind of edge of the box, kind of... Uh, not really finding a way through, kind of hoping for something. And then there was, I think there was one header that was pretty well straight at David Raya, but that was about it. Um, mm. But yeah, just solid Arsenal performance. They just had, like Skull said, they just have to win those and they had to find a way and they did. And they kept the clean sheet as well. Um, just uh, a note I've got here um, yeah. on this game. And I thought I'd open this uh, this little tangent for the, for the Arsenal-Brighton fixture with a, a quote I found on X from someone who said, every week in the Premier League, there's nine fuckwits with whistles and what seems to be one supreme <laughs> fuckwit with a whistle. Congratulations, Tim Robinson. This week, that was you. Um, wow. Early in this game, Tim Robinson let James Milner get away with absolute murder. Um, completely foiled a counterattack. It was butchered Saka from behind. A, a professional foul. Mm. Absolutely butchered Bakaya Saka from behind. A professional foul to stop a counter-attack because he'd made a mistake and he made this challenge knowing and willingly that he was going to be booked for it. But what Sam and I believed was because of the point in the game, how early that it was, it was one of those ones where the ref sort of went, oh, the game's still just settling. Maybe I'll keep Caught him over. Caught him over, had a chat and just, and, oh, and yeah, didn't book last him. morning. Now, Brighton are down four prior to this game. They were down four fullbacks. They then lost another fullback early in this game, I believe. Uh, Joel Veltman, who was yep. covering uh, at right back, came off in the 27th minute, which left James Milner playing left back in this game. 10 minutes in, should have been on a card, on a yellow, one-on-one with Bakayo Saka for 80 minutes of football, has such a huge influence on this game. Yep. And a referee keeping his cards in his pocket is just wrong because of the inf- you don't understand the influence that you are having you think you're having a positive influence on a game by not booking a guy early, but you're actually having such a negative influence towards one team by not just doing what you should be doing. Um, then he made matters worse. About 25 minutes later, Ben White did half of what James Milner did, but because we'd settled a bit and we were into the fixture and he'd seen a professional foul in about the 40th minute, he thought, all right, maybe it's time to book someone. And I was seething. I'm not even an Arsenal supporter. I'd love watching Look, Arsenal lose because we're in a title race with him and I was so unimpressed. Game. Ben White deserved a yellow for that. No issues. Um, it was a professional foul, but it's just, it was like a shirt pull compared to the Milner flying through the back of Saka, like so blatantly. Um, it's just so frustrating when one is given and one isn't. And then I think what was even made it more frustrating later, there was an incident with a Brighton player. Karen only five minutes after. Yeah, there you go. Have you got it there? Yeah, so five minutes after Karen Matoma, virtually the exact same foul as Ben White, um, I have written down here. Um, 
the ref called him over, had a chat, and then Matoma like seemed to walk away. And Sam yeah. and I were, were were talking about it, but not to each other. We were both just like, you know, when you scream in all capitals in a group chat, <laughs> we were both screaming in the group chat at Tim Robinson, fucking book him then. And the Emirates went mad. People were seething. Arteta was losing his mind on the sideline. Um, and I saw it on Twitter that it took 44 seconds after the initial foul for Tim Robinson to give Kaoru Matoma a yellow card. So he thought this one... He had to be talked into over it. Over again. And I genuinely agree. He was talked into it by by the atmosphere and, and the people around him. But what also happened in this moment was he eventually, 44 seconds later, booked Matoma. But because it took him so long to do his job, it gave Mikel Arteta time to whinge. And then Mikel Arteta was then subsequently booked for whinging. Oh, not again. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> is it going to get rescinded again? <laughs> I know Arteta has said some silly stuff in his co- press conferences and like all the bi- all the managers, they all love having a good whinge. And I don't want to hear anyone being like, Arteta's a big sook if you follow Liverpool because Klopp is a big sook. Guardiola's a big sook. They're all just big babies in the end. Um, Roy Hodgson's a nice guy. But Roy is a nice guy. But... Mikel definitely does seem to have a target on his back at the moment. Um, yeah. And the fact that the referee needed to be talked into giving a yellow to the to Matoma in that incident, it was just one of those things where it's not going to get any attention because Arsenal won the game, you know, the old all's well that ends well. But like you said, Saka could have potentially had 80 minutes at Milner one-on-one while he's on a yellow. That that This can have a huge impact on the game. So get it right. Referees, stop being fuckwits. Um, Pretty much comical that he calls 600 game James Milner over and it's like, hey, I'm going to let you know what you've done wrong here. He knows exactly what he's, he's been doing it yeah. for 20 years, bro. I know. Just book him. And he gets away with the old arts early, early doors. Uh, Brentford won, Aston Villa two. Cooper, you also had this one on, I believe. Were you, were you watching Goal Rush or something? Because I, I just had the Arsenal feed on. I didn't want to be interrupted by Optus's stupid live ladder on the side of the screen or the scores <laughs> down the bottom that turned my turn my 60-inch TV into a 30-inch TV. <laughs> no, I'm in agreement with you on that, and I love a punt. So usually during the goal rush, rather than watching the goal rush, I create my own goal rush with as many screens as I can find in the house. I feel you. I got so that, yeah. I, I have a TV, a laptop, and an iPad going watching three different games. You um, guys are sick. This game was We're unwell. boring <laughs> as batshit for 70 minutes. Um, <laughs> Keen Key- Lewis Potter scored for Brentford. Um, against the run of play a little bit. It was a, a real dead cagey first half. Um, and then in the 71st minute, we had another Premier League player decide to tackle like a fuckwit in Ben Mee, got himself yep, sent agreed. off and completely changed the game. The most interesting thing about this Ben Mee one was this really pressed the, if you tackle studs up shin high, you will go no matter how bad the challenge looks. Um, and I think the reason that the referee only gives yellow in the first place when he sees this is because Leon Bailey doesn't go to ground. He gets tackled through the shin, studs up, stays on his feet, and then just dives into another challenge himself right after it. And I think the referee's just seen that and instantly maybe thought that can't be that bad. But VAR caught him over really quickly. He was at the screen for about 10 seconds, came back over, and and me was gone. But it's an awful challenge, and he didn't need to make it because Leon Bailey's running away from goal. And it's another one of those where a faster player beat a slower player to the ball, and he lunged in stupidly, and he didn't get away with it. And it just, it opened a whole can of worms in this game. Um, it took six minutes for Leon Bailey to drive up the line, get a cross in and find Alex Moreno. And then Bubakar Kamara had a, what was a wicked flick, like almost like a scorpion-y back heel-y flick. I'm not sure how much he actually meant it to get to Ollie Watkins, but he was just directing it in the 
general area of the goal and Ollie Watkins put, put his mixer. head on it. And then obviously ex-Brentford player Ollie Watkins scored with at the Brentford end, ran into the net with his arms out and then stuck his arm through the net, specifically pointed at one particular Brentford supporter and just started screaming absolute slander in that supporter's direction. <laughs> um, and then Brentford's Salmon Godos obviously took a little bit of distaste to Watkins' celebration and has just come through and grabbed him like almost in a almost in a headlock chokehold and pulled him out of the net. Jamin Green. And, and it's all going on. He's gone, yeah, he's gone very Draymond. Um, even though Godos actually, yeah, he was booked for this incident. Um, and, but then play moved on. Uh, Neil Mopai was chasing a ball down that was Mopai. going out for a Mopai, Mopai, whatever you want. Who gives a fuck? He sucks. Mopais. <laughs> he does suck. Ball was going Mopais out for a and goal goals. kick. And he's chasing the ball to get it. And he is brushed like Martinez wouldn't have even felt this. It, was, it would have almost been like the breeze blowing his shirt. And Martinez has hit the floor like he's been shot. And it was terrible. And they had a little bit of a, a push and shove and, and the ref split it up and and on we went. And 30 seconds later, um, Neil was fouled again. And as he got up, Martinez ran past and, and, and brushed him. And then Mope has just hit the deck himself in absolute theatrics, giving Martinez some of his own back. And, and it's all kicked off and every player's come from everywhere. Bubakar Kamara decided it was a good idea to put his hand around someone's throat right in front of two officials and just throw them backwards and got himself a straight red card to go along with the seven other players that were given, sorry, eight other players that were given yellow cards in this incident. Just um, two t- absolute dickheads that no one cares about in football yep. just two, causing chaos. Two red cards and 12 yellows after the 71st minute of this game. I want to pull you up on the, um, like... Martinez definitely did just throw himself to the floor and it was delayed. But Mope did kind of did. Uh, you said he brushed him. He ran into his shoulder and Mope literally did not need to. And Martinez was just standing there like he was kind of hoping he would, I guess. And then Mope did not need to run into him at all. Like it was so dumb. And in this game, players are throwing themselves to the floor everywhere. It's the worst part of this sport. And then these these two idiots are the ones doing it, creating all this chaos. Two players that no one even cares about watching. Emmy Martinez would be the shittest World Cup winner in existence. Oh, he, that's a good that's a good list. Well, biggest biggest dickhead to win a World Cup. That'd be an interesting list. We could come up with something. Um, yeah. But yeah, other than that, I think just on Villa, I, I want to point out here that this is uh, they were not good, were they? Like they've had they've had better performances, but. What's big here, I think, is that they played City at home and kind of held them out, held them out, got a breakthrough, then held them out. Arsenal, obviously, they score very early on, and that dictates the way they set up for the rest of the game. They play very differently. Here, they went behind uh, and still found a way to come back and win. So they're finding different ways to get the results, which I think is really impressive from them. And they're well and truly in the mix. How long are they going to be in this title race for, Tommy? And please don't scoff like Michael Owen did last night. Uh, for at least another month, and then That's it's fair. all going to fall apart. I just, yeah. I think they're on a ridiculously good run. Um, they are. This game in particular, I think, highlights their flaws. And like, I think they're very fortunate that Brentford have thrown away more points from winning positions than any other side in the Prem this season. In that, you know, against most other sides, they probably lose this in the end. Yeah. And like, if it's not, if not for the red card, they probably do lose this. Um, so this could have been the game where it comes unstuck. 
I just, there seems like there is a finality to it and there's going to come a run where they don't win in three or four. Sure. And they'll they'll drop down below Spurs it's, and they'll drop down below Man United. But, you know. It's, just one, of those, it's just one of those things where, like, I feel like everyone knows that or like, we don't know that. Villa could surprise everyone. We've got a suspicion. We've got a suspicion it could happen. And that's, I think that's a fair, a reasonable suspicion to have. Uh, but I don't, I just hate this whole, like, like people just scoffing at it or like dismissing it. Oh, oh, so what? Like they're not going to be there. Like they won't be. Villa aren't in the title race. Like, well, they are right now. Like right now, mm. if you look at the table, take away all other context, context, they are third in the league and they're a point off top. That is the facts. Will they be there at the end? Who knows? Probably not. But it doesn't matter. Enjoy it while it's here. Go on the ride. That's it. It's almost like football's played over a nine-month period and that you enjoy the moments as you go along. It's not Absolutely. just about where you are in May. Because we can't we can't have the same conversations about team being down the bottom near relegation. We can't laugh about uh we can't we like we can't just talk about, you know, teams in the relegation zone or Chelsea being mid table and laugh at that and say that they're terrible because of it, but in the same breath not give credit to Villa for being third where they are. Mm. You know, if we're going to criticize teams for being down low, we need to give the credit to the teams that are pushing on. Um Especially when they when they surprise us, we don't need to give City, Liverpool, or Arsenal any credit for being where they are, because so they should be. Uh, Man United, we can laugh at them all day long. We will get to them in a sec. West Ham <laughs> beat Wolves three 0 Cooper, do you have a note on this one, just quickly, or um, just Mohamed Kudus? He's been such a good signing for yep. West Ham, and I think we said countless times that they are a much better side when he plays up front and Mikel Antonio does not. And this works so well with with him and Bowen almost almost rotating. One would float to a wing and the other would just naturally get up front and they look like they're going to be a potent combination for West yeah, Ham. Yeah, great shout. Um, Wolves, for me, just uh, one of those teams they've firmly locked themselves in as they never touch, never touch their games. I did back West Ham last night in a multi, but I thought yes. they'd win. But still, Wolves are still just so well so tricky. And they are pretty low on the table, but they just yeah. sometimes they look a lot better than 13th and sometimes they, they just, don't. They middle out. What do you think about West Ham quietly going about their business? So they're up to 8th now. Uh, ninth, 8th? Yeah. Uh, I feel like we talked about them the other week, but. Yeah, they're right. I, f- I feel like we gave them a lot of shit maybe a month ago. You and did. I kind of resigned. Yeah, because I've resigned myself to them being shit. And now all yeah. of a sudden it's like, well, if Paqueta's going to get a hat-trick of assists every week, when this guy cooks, like West Ham is seriously good. Let's curb it for next time we want to talk about West Ham. But um, I want to keep moving. I'm conscious of time. I feel like we've gone a while. And we haven't even touched Liverpool, Man United. Uh, Cooper, your thoughts on this? Liverpool, obviously, super dominant. Um, crazy. Got to get a win. Yeah. It's a, it's a shock. It's a, such a bad one to drop because of obviously what we spoke about, what's going on with City at the moment. Um, and then Villa come back from, like I said, Villa, whether we like it or not, or whether anyone wants to talk about it or in this title race. So for Liverpool, they're a, they're a direct competitor at the moment. And, and they came back from, from a losing position to get three points and Arsenal continued to cruise. So when you play what is, I mean, Man United have been weak for a majority of this season. And this is close to the weakest lineup that they've actually been able to put out for the entire season. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it showed with Liverpool's dominance, I mean, but 34 shots, 70% possession, and just couldn't couldn't beat a guy who's been one of the poorer goalkeepers in the Premier League. They didn't give him enough to do. Quite no, simply they did not give him enough to do. Um, you could go and watch the highlights package of this game and 
not look at the stats and you'd never know that Liverpool had 34 shots in this game because for all the shots they had oh, you'd get all the, the possession that they had, I just don't think there was really any <laughs> clear-cut chances. I obviously watched this game, but I actually went back and I watched all the Premier League highlights before we do a podcast and I went back and watched the highlights and the two biggest opportunities that stuck out were a Van Dijk header off a corner that went straight at Onana that he tipped over the crossbar and a Canate free header off a corner that he just put straight over the bar. And they were really mm. the two best chances in the entire game for Liverpool. Mm. There was some interesting, um, lo- you know, lots of outside the area opportunities. Salah had, what, three, four, five. The test of the keeper went wide. Alexander-Arnold had a really nice strike from outside the area that just whistled past the post. It's, is it sad now that this is what Manchester United have come to, that they're going to Anfield with the primary objective of getting a point out of this game? I mean, you look at the lineup that they came to. They didn't have a choice. I'm not necessarily surprised. They, I mean, this team, they've done so well to, whether they were lucky or not, so well to, you've got to give them credit for coming to Anfield and getting a point with this lineup. If I can, um, I wanted to shift it in a little bit of a different direction. We've talked tonight about um, the amount of football that's being played, uh, perhaps in relation to injuries. We know that lots of clubs are carrying a big amount of injuries. I just want to point out, um, there's the, I don't know if you guys listen to the Football Ramble. We're plugging another podcast on our own pod again. Uh, but Football Ramble, yeah, Luke but, Moore on there. They're, they're funny. Luke Moore um, on there is a Portsmouth fan, but he was talking about the Liverpool Man, Man United game and talking about, you know, when, when we were all growing up, these games, you look at it and on paper, it's a blockbuster and it's a big rivalry. We're going into this game where Liverpool have McAllister, Matip, Robertson, Jota and Thiago, uh, Bacetic as well. But the other five in particular, five guys that would potentially be starting in this Liverpool lineup missing. We also had from United, they had missing Harry Maguire, uh, Mason Mount, Malatia, uh, whether he would have started, Christian Eriksen, Casemiro, Lissandro Martinez, Victor Lindelof, Anthony Martial, and Bruno Fernandes. Um, have we just become used to the fact in world football now that this this is ordinary, this is normal? It's normal for these all these players to be injured and not participating in games, and this is what we go for. We go to see the best players playing. Luke Moore's point was that. Back in the day, you know, like Arsenal v United, Arsenal Chelsea, if someone like Vieira or a, a major starter was out, this would be a huge news news story. But now it's just football in the world we know it. Yeah, yeah. I um, if if I can, Tommy, I saw a comparison. Um, someone actually clipped that exact clip on Twitter. That is mainly an A League account. Um, talking about how the way that they see it and compare it in their head is. With A-League, we, for those that don't know in Australia, we don't play midweek fixtures. We play one game on a weekend and then we play one game the next weekend is the most common thing to happen here. Our cup, our one cup tournament that our professional teams compete in is in our pre-season. So there's no cup tournament during the season. And then we have three teams that compete in a Champions League format, which is Asia rather than eight that it is in the Premier League now that go into Europe. Um, and usually those teams are knocked out fairly early in these competitions um, because we're just not on the level to compete with these big Japanese sides at the moment and the Saudi clubs now too. But we quite often in the A-League now see consistent starting 11s. Most weeks, all teams have maybe all but one guy available for selection. And I think that is a, a real big show of how 
you can get all your quality on the park if you don't just force football down people's throats. Whereas in the Premier League, you have these guys playing all these games and then you get the injury list like we've spoken about with Newcastle and Spurs, but also like Sam's just listed with United and Liverpool for this game. It is a shame to see Endo, you know, having to mark out McTominay <laughs> in a game when this fixture gone, you know, usually it'd be Skulls versus Alonso or... Skulls and Gerrard or like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, something like that. It, it, it's definitely lacklustre in that sense. And maybe that is to the point of why, you know, we're not, I mean, the, the football, the quality is still usually quite good. Um, outside of, I haven't been impressed with Liverpool or Man United, Man United all season, Liverpool in the last month have been that impressed. Um, but even with the long injury lists, I think we're in a realm of Premier League football where even the backup players are good enough to come in and still put on a show and still, you know, get results for their side. I mean, there's no reason that Liverpool shouldn't have scored a goal in this game. Like, that's not down to injuries at all. Um, no, it's not an but, excuse. But is, is, want... is seeing Liverpool score seven like they did at Anfield last year against Man United, is that a spectacle? Like, obviously, we, we love to it laugh is, at Man United. But in comparison to, hate Man United. To, to what we were talking about of Liverpool-Man <laughs> United in the past, you know, when I was a kid growing up and Liverpool were playing Man United and and we didn't have Fox Sports when we were growing up, which is what the Premier League was on, I used mm. to sit there on my mum's phone at 6 o'clock in the morning and refresh the live feed and just want to know <laughs> what was going on in these games because it was so unbelievable, these two powerhouse clubs going at it. But now we don't want to, I mean, it was lovely to watch at the time, but if you look back on it in hindsight and you think about pure football perspective, Liverpool scoring seven against Man United or last night Man United parking it against the Liverpool team that dominated them and couldn't find a goal, neither of those games are good footballing spectacles. No. I think you've, about, got, I think you've got a point, yeah. My point is more just about, um, I guess, we, we always want to see the best. We want to see all the teams have their best possible team out there. It makes it very hard. We're seeing there's all sorts of debates going on at the moment about who's the best, who are the best managers, um, and how do you how do you even have these discussions when so many of them are missing so many players? How do you judge the table accurately and fairly uh, when, when teams have all these players out? Like, should Spurs be fifth or should they be right in the title race had it not been for their injuries, you know? Uh, same with Newcastle. Um, United, no excuses, they're just shit. Um, but you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. And look, I probably tend to agree, but that's just not the reality that we live in anymore. But these clubs have the financial depths to be able to pull 25 almost 25 world-class players. I mean, the amount of guys that shoot off for international break in the depths of these clubs, like you're, you're seeing 12, 13, 14, 15 guys going to play for their country. And that means they are the best of the best from the place that they're from. I'm, sure. I'm not entirely buying into it. I just don't like it. Too many injuries. I'm not a fan of it either. Too many injuries because there's too much football and we're not seeing the teams put out the absolute best team that they can on the field or that they would want to. Yeah, I'm still skeptical that this Man United side could get any better. Maybe I think, I think Martinez the, comes in. Maybe the, po- the point you might be missing there, Tom, is that the the Premier League games that you were classed usually as unwatchable have actually also become even more unwatchable at points because these sides lower down in the Premier League also have this massive injuries and they're just it's just not good for football in general. Essentially, some of my favorite games this season have been the ones that would last season or previous years, I would have brushed off and be like, oh, I'm not going to watch this. But there's been some belters down there between, you know, West Ham and Wolves, for example. 
Like that was a great attacking uh, counter-attacking display of you know decent talent of a good side. Um, yeah. And I, just, I, I rewind it back to Liverpool City. I mean, both those sides, yeah, they have injury problems, but they still put out two very good units. And that they game do. sucked ass. I yeah. would have preferred to have listened to Cooper Blink for 90 minutes and watched that again. Yeah. I guess I've misdirected the conversation a little and I'm not so much looking for the, uh, is it a, still a spectacle or not based on the injuries. I, I'm just looking at player well-being this week, I guess. It's been on my mind. Um, anyway... I think that's enough. We've rambled on a long time tonight, I think. We'll wrap it up there. Uh, you, I don't know if you guys got anything else or we'll move no, it on. I, just, I really thought the Dello red card was funny. Uh, he got Irin Kundit to fuck in this. Finally, someone is getting reprimanded for yelling at the referee. <laughs> it's taken a while. Only certain guys get it. Mikel Arteta definitely gets it. Um, see you later, Dello. Can't do it. Unlucky, mate. No. A weird hill to die on, though, the throw-in. The throw in, I know, the throw in incidences, you know, just just win it back from the throw. All right, if you ask Arsene Wenger, it's a disadvantage to have a throw in because you've got less men on the field. Crazy man, we'll wrap it up there. Thanks for listening. Get around us on the social medias, uh, check it out. Uh, we got a red edition coming, we're going to record that. Adelaide had another Yay. another loss to West Sydney, I think maybe just a short one. We lost, and that'll do. All right, see you, folks. Have a great week. Merry Christmas, everybody. Bye.